experience that he'd had in my life. And because of the fact it was something of a last-minute trip, I missed out on being here for our Sunday school end-of-year program, which is always a highlight for me, not just because I don't preach that morning, but because I enjoy what the kids present to us. And also, in the evening service, missed out on the end-of-year highlights DVD that Brother Frost produces almost every year. And uh, it's always a great Sunday. I always look forward to that Sunday. There's a lot of good fellowship, a lot of reflecting on the goodness of the Lord. And uh, last night, and in, in a busy schedule, I finally managed to get to see the end-of-year DVD. It's not bad thing. It's almost the end of February. But as always, Brother Frost did a fantastic job. I think he's upstairs at the moment, so you can tell him I said that. Did a fantastic job of capturing not only images but feelings and experiences of our church family. And as we watched that, there were a couple of things that struck me while I was watching the DVD. The first thing was how grateful I am for the amount of work that people invest in our church. Uh, As we saw various events, you become aware of the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes to make those things happen. And uh, in every area, whether whether you actually have a title or whether you're just given all your effort and your energy, Sunday school teachers, department leaders, and everybody in between, thank you very much for all the work that you do. You ought to give yourselves a hand. Amen. One of the other things that struck me was the love that exists between the brothers and sisters here in this church. And uh, there was footage of people worshiping together, praying together, laughing, crying, giving each other a hard time, fellowshipping together, even people putting up with listening to preaching together featured on the end of year DVD. Now, Brother Frost spends a lot of time editing and putting different pieces together because there's a lot of footage that doesn't make it. Some of it may be the quality. Some of it may be that he doesn't want to embarrass us too badly. He adds music. Uh, There always seems to be footage of people putting food in their mouths. Uh, That seems to feature every year on the DVD, and Brother Peter seems to be the star of that sometimes. For, For some reason, Brother Frost always manages to catch him. But uh, that's okay. Having food and fellowship is a biblical thing. You know, there's some things that Brother Frost doesn't include on the DVD at the end of the year. There's no vision on the end of year highlights DVD of any of our husbands and wives having a disagreement. Thank you, Jesus. There's no footage of friction in a married couple. I just saw Sister Sheila hit Brother Miles, so... They're going, to, they're going to be in next year's video, it would seem. <laughs> Caught your sister, Sheila. There's no recording in the video of the look on someone's face when they've been offended. There's, there's no evidence, at least on the DVD, of when a church member is struggling spiritually wrestling with a problem or an attitude and they're sitting there with their arms crossed while others are worshipping. We don't see that in the DVD, which is probably a good thing because Brother Frost might not survive if he took footage of people when they were at their less than best. There's no footage of people showing that they're going through financial or employment challenges, struggles of life. You don't see feelings of hopelessness or being overwhelmed You know, Brother Frost doesn't include some video of people being miserable and try to find a matching song to go along with that. There's probably plenty out there. They'd all be in the country and western section of the library. 
because they can be pretty mournful sometimes. But, uh, but the reality is, even though none of those things are on the video, they all took place during the year. Any husbands and wives have any disagreements in 2017? Any honest people in the building? Anybody have any struggles in 2017? Anybody have employment challenges, financial challenges? Have a day when you come to the house of the Lord where everybody else seemed to be biting the ceiling and you had a hard time just lifting your hand? We've all had that experience. There's a lot of hands going up there. It's like an auction. But those things don't feature during the Highlights DVD. You see, years ago, before we went digital, when film was put together, when people that were editing film in the old school fashion with actual physical film, they would cut pieces out and join those pieces together that they wanted to show. Sometimes it might be put together in a blooper reel. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But all of those bits that were removed ended up on what became known as the cutting floor. The bit where all the unwanted sections of the filming was put. And so this morning, in a little bit of a strange fashion with the help of the Lord, I want to speak to us as a church about in between the highlights. In between the highlights. Amen. We're Pentecostals. Amen. If this is your first time in a Pentecostal church, that's what this craziness is all about. We're Pentecostals. We believe in being filled with the Holy Ghost. We believe in exuberant worship. We believe that's biblical. It's not something we just got together and thought, let's spice it up a bit. We believe it's from the book. We're apostolics. We believe that the experiences recorded in the book of Acts is how it ought to be in the church today. It's not just history. It's, it's, it's a blueprint. It's an outline. It's an example of what should be happening in our church. We believe that the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the baptism in Jesus' name, signs and wonders and the demonstration of the power and the love of God belong in our church today. In fact, that's part of our church vision is that we would be a church where the presence of God, the love of God and the power of God would be a part of every service and that each of us would feel a personal responsibility. This is our church. This is our gospel that he's given to us. That's part of our vision. Amen. And, you know, we, well, I do, and I know others do, is that we get restless when people aren't being born again. We want to see people saved. I know those of you particularly, all of us should have compassion for souls, but some people that have a particular call to evangelism, it, it get, they get irritable when something's not happening, and there's nothing wrong with that. We desire to see more of the miraculous. We're inspired by the pages of Scripture that record lame men getting healed, demons being cast out, the dead being raised, people being filled with the Holy Ghost in the middle of preaching. God forbid that that should happen. Let me, let me just say this so you understand. If you have never received the Holy Ghost and you feel God begin to move in you while I'm preaching, interrupt me anytime you like. Interrupt me and receive the Holy Ghost. It happened in the book of Acts. It can still happen today. Amen. It's something of a cliche, which generally means I try to avoid it, but somebody once said that churches should be more like hospitals and less like hotels. Churches are supposed to be places where people come to be made whole, not just made comfortable. There's too many churches that are interested in people being made comfortable and not being made whole. And if you've ever been in a hospital emergency department, 
not just on a regular, I mean, you, you, you can go to Royal Perth Hospital at midnight on a Friday night if you want. It's like a live show in there. I was there a few years ago at midnight, one o'clock in the morning. There's police coming and going and people hurt and injured. It's crazy. But if you've ever been to an emergency department when something out of the ordinary, a significant event has taken place, not the usual, whatever a usual day in emergency looks like, you know, it, it's quite a, an environment. In 1988, in my last year of high school, I was involved, that gives you a clue how old I am, I finished all 12 years in case you think that was year eight, but um, I was involved in a major traffic accident, in a collision between a large bus and a train. It wasn't a very good experience and several people lost their lives and the accident took place in a somewhat remote area so we weren't close to any major cities, so any major hospitals. And so the injured people from that accident were taken to, depending on the severity of your injury, were taken to two different smaller town hospitals. The, the more severe cases were taken to Maryborough Base Hospital, that's in southern Queensland, and those that weren't so bad were taken to Harvey Bay Hospital, which was a, a, an even smaller hospital than that. And I can still remember clearly the emergency department being filled to overflowing with bleeding, crying, injured people beds stuck in hallways. I mean, you can see that in a big hospital in a, in a major city, but I just remember the, the hospital almost being overwhelmed that, you know, people were put wherever they could fit. Some people had to wait longer than others to be seen, depending on the nature of your injuries. And I remember very clearly my best friend and I being put on beds and pushed in the back hallway somewhere, and it seemed like they forgot about us. We're in this back hallway. There was no staff. There was no other people. We were just lying there. We weren't hurt too badly, and so we were waiting for precautionary x-rays. But I remember as the shock wore off, I remember my friend just beginning to cry at the, the grief and the torment of what had just happened. And church can be a bit like that sometimes. It can be a bit chaotic. People can be hurt. People can be waiting a bit longer than they should. Things go on like that. And uh, not everything makes the highlights DVD. And we say thank you, Jesus, for that. It would be a much less enjoyable evening if we put everything on video. But I want to try to encourage you in a simple way this morning, if I can, that the stuff you go through in between the highlights doesn't mean that you failed. It doesn't mean that you're off course. It doesn't mean that God's forgotten about you. It doesn't mean that the end of the world has come, even though it may feel like it on that particular day. See, I love the highlights of the New Testament church as much as anybody else does. I love to read the book of Acts. It's, it's, there's so much dynamic power in the book of Acts. And, uh, but I'm hoping that maybe we can have a look at some of the pieces on the cutting floor, as it were, and be encouraged that it's still his church. You're still his child. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're still his child. You're still the child of God. He's still the king of kings. Amen. See, we love to talk about Acts chapter 2, and so we should. The church was born. The Spirit of God was poured out miraculously. 120 to begin with, when they overflowed out of the room and the message began to spread, there were thousands of people by the end of that day that had been filled with the Spirit for the first time. And we love to preach about it, we love to talk about it, and so we should. If that happened today, everybody would have a t-shirt, I was there when it happened. You know, I was there the first day. You know, I'm an original. There'd be all this merchandise that you could buy because you happened to be there on the first day of Pentecost where people got the Holy Ghost. And it's a fantastic and an exciting 
landmark, if you like, in church history. But if you follow the trail of the church from the second chapter of the book of Acts, it's only three chapters later in chapter 5 that we find ourselves with a couple named Ananias and Sapphira who come to church pretending to be, have everything in place, be a little bit elastic with the truth about what they've done, and God kills them both. That's the abbreviated version. You can read that in Acts chapter 5. But here we are just three chapters after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and God snuffs two people out in the middle of something similar to a church service. Can you imagine Sunday morning, Northside Pentecostal Church? Somebody walks in and says, I did this for the Lord. And they tell a lie. And next thing you look down and their gift of the Spirit is rigor mortis across the front of the church. What would that do to us? The Bible says great fear came upon them, and rightly so. That'd be one way to get ourselves in the paper. Not, I'm sure that I'm interested in that kind of advertising. That's in the fifth chapter. We're only three chapters into the early church. The next chapter, chapter 6, people begin to complain that they were being unfairly treated, that another group of people was being treated better than they were. That's in the Acts chapter 6. One of the young men that's brought on board to try to take care of that problem in the next chapter gives his testimony and they execute him. They stone him to death. This is, this is in between the highlights of the New Testament church. Acts chapter 8, there's a wicked man who's a, a sorcerer, tries to buy the power of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 9, persecution increases and saints are being thrown into prison. Acts chapter 10, there's a little bit of a, a great story in the story of Cornelius and his household at Caesarea Philippi, how they all get born again when Peter goes down there. But what comes out of that story is that Peter, who's one of the founding members of the New Testament church, has a prejudice problem. Later on, you find out he's, well, today they call him a bit, bit racist. This is the New Testament church. These aren't on the highlights DVDs. And so we might look at some of those stories... And we might say, well, a lot of that trouble, or maybe at least half of it, came from outside the church. That's not a church problem per se. And you could maybe make that argument. But let's go a little bit further through the New Testament. We get to the book of Romans. There's a constant battle through the book of Romans as Paul's writing with people that were trying to frustrate the grace of God and bring the church under the Old Testament law. Paul's struggling with people in the church that he shouldn't have to struggle with. But it's in the church jump along to the next book and we won't do every book in the new testament in case you think we're here for the long haul but you get to the corinthian church there is not enough money in the face of this planet to get me to pastor the church at corinth there, there is not a good enough deal it was the church of nightmares read the two epistles to the corinthian church this is a list of some of their in between the highlights there was immorality in the church. It seems like it was a problem, not just in one situation, but it's addressed multiple times. Sexual immorality. In fact, there's one man that's that Paul writes addressing that's having an immoral relationship with what seems to be his stepmother. Talks about his husband's wife. But some commentators suggest it was his stepmother. Either way, it was messed up. And the church was doing nothing about it. They knew about it. Nobody was doing anything. The same church is recorded 
spiritually as having childish immaturity. They abused the communion table. They thought of different parts of the church. Paul used the example of the parts of the body. They had trouble realizing that everybody was valuable. Some of them thought because they were the ear, they were better than the kneecap. They had all these kind of problems going on. There was chaos in their services. Paul had to write and say, sort this rubbish out. You know, he said, let everything be done decently in order. He had to write that because it wasn't being done decently and in order. It was madness. Just people doing whatever they wanted to do. And then there were factions and allegiances and cliques and splits all over the church. Some said, I belong to Peter, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos. This is all happening in one church. This is between the highlights. Because so often when you, read, when you skim the surface of the church at Corinth, you read about how they came behind in no gift of the Spirit. They had the miraculous. They saw the power and the demonstration of God going on. But at the same time, they had all this junk. This is the New Testament church. We're talking about between the highlights. We move along to the Galatian church. Paul started that church. He writes a letter to them. And it starts out with some pleasantries, you know, some nice greetings, some benedictions, as they would call them. But then he says, he's only five or six verses into his letter, and he says, I marvel. Or we would say, I'm amazed at how soon you are removed from him who called you into the gospel, into the grace of Jesus Christ, into another gospel. The man that started the church said, I'm gobsmacked that you could be messed up that quickly. That's what he said. He said, I marvel. This is a New Testament church. We read this epistle and we say, oh, Galatians tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, faith, temperance. All this wonderful stuff about how we walk in the Spirit. We don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But he said in the very first chapter, he said, he, he said it boggles my mind how quick you've messed this up. How would you like that if I walked up to you after church this morning? Brother Moses... You've been here a while, but I'm absolutely amazed at how stupid you've been. It shocks me how dumb you are. It really does. I mean, how would you feel? The well, pastor loves me. But Paul wrote to him. He said, I'm, I'm just gobsmacked at how stupid you've become so quickly. He said it in King James English, so it doesn't sound so bad, but that's what it... Well, he probably didn't say it in King James, actually. He would have said it in Greek. But he's like, this is, this is our brothers and sisters in the New Testament church. We go to the book of Ephesians. So many people love the epistle to the Ephesians. It's a great epistle. It's a great church. But turn, let's, let's read some scriptures so you can at least say we've got some Bible this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. I'm not wanting to cause anybody to look at the scripture a different way. I'm just wanting us to understand we're in the will of God. We're in we're where God wants us to be. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Paul writing to his uh, understudy, we might say, the young man he's developing. He said, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He said, But shun profane and vain babblings. Why did he tell him that? Obviously it was a challenge that was going on. For they will increase. You see, Timothy's in Ephesus. That's where Ephesians connects here. They will increase under more ungodliness. And their word will eat 
as does a canker, or we would say a cancer. Of whom is Hymenius and Philo? He names two people in the church. Again, Sunday morning, Pastor Simon comes to church. Sister Natalie and Sister Katerina, your words are eating this church like a cancer. He calls them by name. Writes to the church and said, these two fellas, they're spreading spiritual cancer in your church. This is the church of the living God. This is the same church that the epistle of Ephesians says, we have the earnest of our inheritance. We've got the Holy Ghost. We're sealed with his promise. By the way, there's a couple of guys in the church that are like cancer. In between the highlights. In between the highlights. Amen? Bless the Lord. It says, Their word will eat as a canker who concerning the truth have erred. They've got their doctrine wrong. Saying that the resurrection is past already and they overthrow the faith of some. These men were called out by name because they were causing people to lose faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. New Testament church. Book of Philippians. Let's turn there as well, just so you don't think I'm making this up. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3 and verse 2. Beware of dogs. That's what it says. Beware of dogs. You thought that was just on someone's fence. It's in the Bible. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Dogs, to be called a dog, was a very, very harsh insult. What Paul is, he's describing people that have no morals, no principles, no scruples that will compromise everything, that won't stand for anything. He says, beware of dogs. Again, if I stood up here and said, you need to beware of dogs. Our brothers and sisters got this message. Beware of dogs. Jump over a chapter to chapter 4. In verse 2, I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche, I think is how you pronounce that, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Two sisters in the church. All the ladies go real quiet now. Two sisters that it seems were in leadership that were fighting and squabbling with each other enough that Paul had to address it in a letter. Could you please tell those ladies to cut it out? I don't think there's any pastor on the face of the planet that hasn't wanted to tell some people to cut it out from time to time. Paul wrote the letter. He said, please, he he said, be of the same mind. Stop your squabbling. This is the New Testament. Church of Jesus Christ. In Colossians, they're warned about being spoiled by the philosophy and empty thinking and traditions of men. Why were they being warned about that? Because Paul knew they were going to face that challenge. Paul didn't have a word count he had to fill for each epistle. He wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And when he said, beware, lest anybody spoil you, anybody take away those things that are valuable through philosophy and the empty thinking and traditions of mankind. That's the church. We're going to look pretty good by the time we get to the end of the New Testament. The church at Thessalonica, 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's amazing, I started to look through this and thought, man, this New Testament church was a mess. That's a mess. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and 10, he says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, 
and he's departed where? Unto Thessalonica. It seems that that's where Demas was from. In another passage in the New Testament, Demas is listed as those working with Paul and greeting the church. But somewhere along the way, Demas has decided that he wants to go home and get a good job and earn a steady income, forget this serving God business. Now here's the question. When he got home, what do you think he was saying about the Apostle Paul? Because he would have come home and they would have said, why are you back? And he wouldn't have said, well, because I love this present world. He would have blamed the Apostle Paul, I'm sure. Or said something that wasn't very kind. But he'd forsaken the Apostle Paul. We get to the epistles of Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. It's a little bit of a different message, but I hope you're getting what I'm trying to communicate. 1 Timothy 1 and 3. Paul writing says, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia. Why? That thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Why was there a warning there? There was a problem with false doctrine. Verse 4, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Don't get off track on stuff and get obsessed with stuff that doesn't matter. You know, you can, you can go down rabbit holes of things you can look into and never come out of. He said, stick to the truth of God's word. That's what he said. He said, those things just create more questions. They don't produce godly edifying, which is in faith. He said, do that. He said, teach good doctrine. It builds up. It produces godly edifying, which is in faith. Now the end of the commandment is charity or, or sacrificial love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned or not faked, real faith. From which some having swerved have turned aside to vain jangling or making a lot of noise about things that aren't really worthwhile. He said, stay on track. And then in the same chapter, no, in Second Timothy, sorry, chapter 1 and verse 15, he said this, this thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. That's a pretty big statement. Of whom are Phygelus and Homogenes. He calls two guys by name. You get sued for that nowadays. But he calls them out. He said, these, these people, they've all forsaken the things I've taught them, especially these two guys. These are the ringleaders. These are the troublemakers. And then we get to Titus. And we're probably not going to go too much further. Get to Titus chapter 1. Verse 5. Paul says, For this cause I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are wanting. They, had, they were problems. There were things that were lacking. He said, I left you there, Titus, to fix it up. And ordain elders in every city as I appointed you to do. If you go down a few verses to chapter 10, and it says, For there are many. Sorry, verse 10. Chapter 1, verse 10. There are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, especially the Jews. He said there's, there's no shortage of people causing trouble. It's just what everybody wants. Verse 11, he says, Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses. They lead whole families off track, teaching those things which they shouldn't for, for money, for filthy lucre's sake. They fill in their own pockets. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. Now, I don't care what translation you look at. There's no way you can sugarcoat that. Somebody came in and said, This church is full of evil beasts with slow bellies and wicked creatures or whatever. Well, I mean, there's, there's, 
What he's really trying to say, there's no way you can sugarcoat that. These are people that the New Testament church was dealing with. These are the things, you know, we so often fall into the error, I believe, of just remembering all the amazing stuff. Paul and Silas were thrown into prison. They sang at midnight and the gates swung open. Peter was let out of prison. All this one, and it's good. But in between the highlights, there are churches and cities filled with real people, real problems, real struggles, trouble, mate. A lot of what Paul deals with, when you read the epistles, a lot of his instruction is trying to correct issues. So many of the epistles, there's some good stuff in there where he, he encourages them, but a lot of it's like, don't forget to take care of this. Make sure that person, fix them up. You know, those people, yeah, kick them out. That's effectively what he's saying. Liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. And this is the final one that I want to reference. Third John. There's only one chapter. Third epistle of John, right up the end of the New Testament. The longest living of the original apostles. Some consider that he lived to be somewhere around about 90 years of age. And in verse 9, John writes, I wrote unto the church. I sent you guys a letter. But Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. He wants to be the man. So he doesn't acknowledge our ministry or our leadership, so he's getting in the way. Wherefore, if I come... I will remember his deeds which he doeth. Now, I don't know what that was going to mean. But they were going to have a conversation. Prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he receive the brethren, and forbids them that would, and cast them out of the church. So when the elders were coming to visit, he won't let them come to church. And anybody in the church that wants to talk to the elders, he's kicking them out of the church. This is happening in the church. This is the New Testament church that the Bible says. Here's, here's the amazing thing about the grace and the power of God. The Bible says that same church, he's going to present it to himself as a spotless bride. That seems impossible when you read some of this stuff. But that's what the Lord is capable of doing. So I know this is a little bit of an unusual message, but I want to encourage you this morning. Don't be discouraged in between the highlights. You know, we looked at that awesome video that Brother Frost made, and you would think that our church was already in heaven. Such, everybody's happy, everybody's having a good time, everybody's hugging and worshipping and praying, but there were bits in between. There's stuff on the cutting floor that doesn't make the highlights, and there's a good reason for that. And sometimes when we get stuck in between the highlights, that's when it's easy to get off track. But we need to remember that He's still with us. He's still by our side. He still said he'll never leave us and forsake us. And just because your present experience might not make the highlights DVD, God is still in control. Don't listen to the enemy. You know, I think it's in 2 Corinthians where it talks about not being ignorant of the devil's devices. That word devices, the Greek word that comes from, that's the only time it's translated as devices. Every other time that word is translated in the New Testament, it's translated as mind or thoughts. The things the devil... Where does he want to get to us? Anybody here been recently thrown in jail for being a Christian? Anybody been beaten? 
stoned to death outside a city, shipwrecked for serving the Lord. No, none of us have. But our battle is here. I'm going to do something I don't know. I'm going to read a little something to you that I read online the other day that I just really felt was, was valuable. And if you'd like a copy of this, I can get it to you. I can email it to you. Or those of you that don't have email, I can print a copy. This is what it says. And this, I'm going to close with this. It says, if I were the devil and I wanted you to backslide, some of you might have seen this, here's what I would do. Firstly, I'd convince you to justify not continuing to grow in God by reminding you of how far you've come. This is how I'll get you to skip out on your daily personal devotions. Secondly, I'd make you start sitting further back so people so you can see everybody else in the center. There's nothing wrong with sitting in the back in case you get uncomfortable. Okay? <laughs> Everybody's not looking around. But it said, it said, I'd make you start sitting further back so you can see everyone in the service. This way I'll get you focused on people more than the preacher or the Bible. So I'll be watching you folks down the back to make sure you're paying attention, okay? Next, I'll get you to not be as demonstrative in your worship as you once were, and I'll take away your response to the preaching too. I'll fill your mind with distracting thoughts so you'll miss the part of the sermon that was applicable to your life. Then I'll convince you your church service is optional. You'll start with midweek, and after I've worked on you a while, I'll have you missing half of the services monthly. Next, I'll get you to isolate yourself. I'll tell you that no one will miss you, so you'll skip church events. I'll convince you that you're alone, that no one cares, and that you don't fit in with the church people. I'll give you an us-against-them attitude, so you'll start to question everybody's motives and actions. If you've been serving the Lord for any length of time, there's some of this that should be ringing some bells. Then you'll be ready. All you need now is an offense. I'll have you looking for and expecting one. And when it comes, even if it's small, I'll make a mountain out of it. And because I've got you to starve your spiritual side, you won't have the strength to fight me. I'll drag you back into the world God delivered you out of. And lastly, I'll pour on so much shame and guilt that you'll be convinced God won't take you back so you won't even bother asking. That's a little bit sobering, but that's very much the devices of the enemy. Amen. I want to encourage somebody or all of us this morning. If you're between the highlights, God is still on his throne. You're still his child. He still has your life in his hand. He still knows your needs. He still knows exactly where you're at. Amen. Just like that New Testament church that they ministered to, the church is no different today. It's, 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 it's that messy emergency room. There's people coming and going. There's things going on. There's people messing up. There's people messing other people up. It's, it's just part of being in the church. But he's still on the throne. He's the one that said that when he returns, he's going to present the church to himself. He's coming for those that look for him. That's the secret. So when you're in between the highlights, still look up. Still look for him. Still trust that he knows exactly where you're at. You know, there will come a day. Now, I don't know if it will be of the same quality as Brother Frost produces, but when we go to be with the Lord, we're going to see some highlights DVDs of the church throughout the ages. What a day that will be. I don't know if the Lord recorded it somehow. He can do anything. What well, would be awesome to be able to see the day of Pentecost. It'd have to be in Blu-ray, Brother Frost, for the quality. We'd have to make sure we got it right, you know. But what, what, how awesome would it be? But, you know, those same people that they had in-betweens you read what paul said they've all left me 
this one he's a cancer I don't think I've ever said that of anybody I went to church with not yet let's keep it that way but it wasn't all highlights but God was there every step of the way stand with me if you would this morning